Welcome to the Startup Microdose podcast with me, Ed Stevens, and my Arcadian co-host, Oliver Jones. This conversation is with Sergei Muzienko. Sergei is the founder of Atlas Biomed. Atlas is a personalized healthcare company empowering individuals to take control of their health through actionable recommendations based on gene and microbiome DNA tests. We discuss the exciting potential of this space, Sergei's experience at Silicon Valley think tank Singularity University, and the weird and wonderful symbiosis between us and our gut bacteria, including the gut-brain axis and its link to weight loss and depression. If, after listening, you want to unearth the secrets of your DNA and microbiome, use code MICRODOSE, all in capitals, for a discount at checkout. Without further ado, we bring you Sergei Musienko. Hello everyone, uh, we're joined today by Sergei Musienko of Atlas Biomed. Thank, thanks very much for joining us, Sergei. Well, thanks for having me, and very impressive that you pronounced my last name correctly. <laughs> That's a very, very <laughs> oh, we didn't We didn't check your last name yeah. before, we checked your first name. <laughs> it's very impressive. <laughs> now, the, the, main, the main body of our discussion is going to focus on Atlas Biomed, sure. obviously, and the personalised healthcare space more generally. Um, but to help introduce you to our listeners and give them some context perhaps you could run us through a, a potted history of your career highlights leading up to atlas biomed yeah we'd love to um so the story goes that i've graduated from the place called moscow institute of physics and technologists and uh, well i'm russian originally i was born um in moscow so graduated from this um, it, it is a quite famous place it's, it's like an analog of mit in russia which is like very uh, kind of uh, high-tech um, engineering um, um, university, like very, really famous. So uh, my, my track was in bioinformatics. So I was studying this for a while. Um, had to drop from my PhD, so didn't, didn't do it. Right. Uh, went to the place called um, uh, Singularity University that is based in the Mountain View in California. A quite a famous place founded by um, Ray Kurzweil mm-hmm. and Peter Diamandis. Probably you know the names. Yeah. Um, and it's it's like it's located in the NASA Ames Research Center, right next to Google, probably like 500 meters away from their headquarters. And um, uh, effectively, what they do is uh, it's like it's like a think tank where um, they are collecting about 80 people from all around the globe uh, every year for this extensive summer program. Um, and you get a chance to meet um, probably like all the innovative companies in the selected track. So I was in biomedical, um, so I got a chance to meet like visionaires and CEOs and CTOs and scientists uh, from all the leading kind of biomedical companies um, in the area. And that was amazing because you get you get to see insights from like where the industry is going, how are things developing, what is everybody thinking in terms of like the, the personalized medicine and where, where like the te- technology is, is driving the industry. And um, well, there was a sparkle of microbiome, I would say, uh, back then in 2011, it was just picking up so very slowly, um, but people were already discussing those things. And that's when I had an actually like eventually where I had the idea to build up the company that will create this kind of ecosystem of the instruments for precision health. Um, and this is how it all started um, in 2011. So I went back to Russia and we set up the team of co-founders of which we have um, like scientists, mostly it's mostly scientists and doctors, um, some IT entrepreneur, one IT entrepreneur as well. And we set up the company in 2013 and this is how it all started. And then we <coughs> made the transition to the UK and effectively growing the business in Europe right now. Mm-hmm. Just to take a step back for a moment to, to Singularity University, because. I hadn't heard of that until I saw it on your LinkedIn mm. profile, mm. and you were there for a year. No, it's it's a summer program. It takes about ten weeks. Right. So you go there. Effectively, you go there in June, and uh, the program ends in, in the end of August. And you spend time um, like living just inside this kind of kind of research center, NASA Ames Research Center, um, like in a, in a real barracks mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. with other people, you know, and, and like. Uh, very extensively, like six days a week, you have lectures and seminars and meetings with people like from starting at 9 a.m. and ending at like 10 p.m. It's like really, it's, right. it, it's a hardcore um, executive education program, which is really focused on kind of uh, pushing people to uh, think of their own ideas uh, that will change lives of a billion people. That's how they position themselves. And it's all based on technologies and exponentially growing technologies specifically. 
So things like what we saw with like semiconductors um, mm. uh, or uh, like what we see now with, with genetic sequencing when mm. the prices are dropping like exponentially and that drives the, the whole industries to the new directions. So this is what it's all about. Right, so just getting you into the mindset of thinking about um, what you can build around uh, like an inevitable trend. Exactly. And and what was the criteria for people to be selected and brought into that program? You said it was quite a limited amount. So right. it, do they screen you quite heavily? That was a big challenge, actually. I mean, they, I, I think they had like three or 4,000 people willing to participate in that program in 2011. So that, so that, is, wow. a, that is a big challenge. When did it start, sorry? Um, so I don't really. I mean, the program started in June, so probably the, the the interviews we had were about in April or May. I don't really remember right now. It was like a couple months before the program started. Um, so you had to write an essay on the kind of the startup idea or the business idea that will change life a billion of, of a billion people mm-hmm. in like next five to ten years. Um, and well, I, I wrote my idea just like probably in the last day of the application process. <laughs> just submitted that and hoped for the better and well I got contacted and people had like I had a couple like a series of interviews with um, like um, the, um, the management team from Singularity University mm-hmm. and explained uh, what I do my background um, like the idea I had uh, they seemed to be very impressed so I got selected and went on to to the program and was the idea you had a, a kernel of what then became Atlas Biomed, or was it well, something Well, th- it was like, a, I, was, I would probably say that was a basement uh, of what we are now doing with Atlas. And um, idea was kind of fresh uh, but by that time, but it's, it's, uh, it sounds rather funny right now these days. So the idea I had was uh, to build up the social network for people who've done the genetic testing. Hmm. Because the technology was just picking up, and that was 2011. I mean, it's, it, it wasn't huge like it is right now with, uh, like, millions of people that already got tested. Um, um, so it wasn't like that back in 2011. So it was like probably like tens of hundreds of thousands of people. So mm-hmm. my idea was to kind of get them uh, united into the social network and get them uh, meet genetic counselors, which are the medical professionals that help interpret and explain the results to people. That was a, it was a kind of a big thing by, back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, the idea itself has a, had a this kind of a positive feedback loop. So like the more people you get involved in the social network, the more data that you're, yeah. you're collecting as a company and the more kind of questionaries and information they share, the more it drives science. So that was the kind of the, the, the background idea. Uh, plus you could kind of combine people that go tested in different companies, like based on different technologies, different microarrays, get them all together, discuss the results and meet the doctors, kind of talk to them about the results and kind of improve their lives to the better. That was the idea. It sounds kind of funny right now because these things exist. (laughs) So probably like all the leaders right now in the industry, they they do have uh, some forms of social networking on the platform already. So, but back then it was new. Mm -hmm. No, I I agree. We um, looked into that in 2009. Right. And we had to look at, it was uh, on my degree, but we looked into the use cases of people who were early Mm. adopters in terms of getting the SMP region sequenced. Right. And yeah, it was, it was very, um, limited in the number of people who did it and they were quite sort of i guess they were looking at stuff they were vulnerable to people who did it that we looked at the profiles of were worried about some heart conditions and stuff like that so i think they're quite willing to to do it in a way that now the mass public are much more willing to do it um did you get much contact time with uh peter diamandis and ray kurzweil at all on the course yeah well we had a couple of uh fireside chats with them so they 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 were participating in the kind of uh, the program so we got to talk to them and um, I shared some ideas. We, we discussed them and um, well, back then it was all about this kind of project idea that I had about social networking. So they were kind of, you know, positive in terms of supporting this idea. And actually I built up, the t- we, I managed to build up the team around the idea. So uh, that, that's how the, pr- the project um, um, we called uh, Primer Life. That's mm-hmm. how it started. Um, I mean, um, back in Singularity University, which gradually evolved into what's now Atlas Biomed. So you, sorry, you assembled the team from people you met in your cohort of um, people at Singularity University. Yeah, correct, correct. Okay. That's, that was the idea. I mean, the idea was that you had to either come up with your own idea or join somebody within the, within the team, um, join somebody else's idea effectively uh, to kind of set up this company or present the company by the end of the course that will change life of a billion people. Mm-hmm. Are there any other companies that 
that we would have heard of that have come out of the program? Yeah, quite famous one is called Matternet. Um, I don't know if you heard about this. It's a, the, the guys are based in California and they're doing the um, driverless, they're building what they call the driverless world with the drones delivery effectively. Mm. Mm-hmm. So the, the guy that founded the company, the CEO, is called, his name, his Greek, his name is Andreas. It's impossible to pronounce <laughs> the last name. It's even worse than mine. Um, sorry, Andreas, if you hear this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so they, they've set up a company. They, they recently raised $16 million from Boeing, I think. So they're, they've tested the technology with um, in some really like distant rural, er, rural areas uh, in Africa. I think, where there's no roads effective mm. to transport drugs uh, between hospitals, for example. Mm-hmm. So they've tested their technologies. It seems to be working well. And the idea was really awesome. I mean, at some point I was kind of thinking to join or kind of, you know, pursuing my own idea. Um, but finally, yes, I, I, I've stopped with the, with the Primal Life. Mm. Well, as you say, all of them are going to be quite good because they are geared up to change the lives of so many people you know yeah, exactly. you're not there unless you're trying to do a, a yeah. big visionary idea um i think that's something we criticize about the london startup ecosystem is it's, it's becoming a bit sort of niched mm. or everybody's sort of chasing the same same bit of pie there's not like the big visions mm. with that in mind my question to you would be was there any temptation to stay in california because yeah, yeah yeah of course of course there was there was um uh, the, the problem is it's, it's very expensive as you know so you need to raise a very significant amount on the on a very very early stage um, and we didn't have back then. We didn't have a kind of a, a really big track record um, of success within the team. So and and it was just an idea of the startup. Um, so uh, I mean, we just couldn't afford uh, setting up. Uh, to be very honest, we just couldn't afford setting up the office and, and building the team uh, there in California. That's why I, I moved back. Uh, but we continued with the idea, and I mean, we were doing it for a while, and then it kind of gradually evolved into what we're doing now so, so you went back to russia yeah correct before for how long before coming here and why so, and why did you decide to so come i here? moved in i moved into london uh, probably in the uh, in the early 2016 so not not too long ago and um uh, the story about atlas goes we started this in russia so we're, we assembled the team of scientists and bioinformaticians um uh, molecular geneticists and uh, experts in microbiome research. We're going to probably talk about this later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we assembled the team. Uh, we piloted the products uh, on the local market. But having this kind of a more um, a global vision uh, for the company and the products. And we moved into the UK. Um, we moved our headquarters to London. That was early 2016. And we um, launched the sales um, of our kits. Um, in August last year. Am I right in thinking it started with DNA first, or did you do the microbiome kits at the same time as the? Uh, it, yeah, it, we started with the DNA, having kind of a broader picture in mind. So we started with the DNA. We piloted the product. We tested all the assumptions in terms of marketing and how you can you sell, and not just directly to the consumers, but also, but also working with the clinics and doctors and hospitals, which is a really important part of uh, what we're doing. And then we moved on developing the, we kind of, we um, acquired the team that was doing microbiome research uh, from academia for about 15 years, probably kind of the highest, kind of the, the highest level uh, researchers uh, you can potentially find in the Russian speaking countries. Um, and we, we joined forces and we developed the second uh, solution, which is microbiome testing, mm-hmm. um, testing the gut bacteria. And we, we again launched that, piloted it, and then made the transition um, uh, to Europe. Because I guess also something that's quite important for a company that's basing itself on data is diversity of the population that you're collecting it from. Because you know, in some countries where I guess your typical user will come up with the same sort of microbiome profile, right. it's probably less interesting for you than going to say London where it's a big cultural mixing pot. Just to step back for a moment, um, to the, can you explain to the un- uninitiated what Atlas Biomed is and what it does? Sure, we'd love to. So Atlas uh, Biomed is the company. It's, it's a personalized health uh, technology company. And what we're doing is we're creating an ecosystem of instruments um, uh, that allow people to test themselves, uh, starting with their own DNA and then going further with their uh, testing their own gut bacteria, that we all have uh, plenty of those bacteria living in our, in our, in our guts. Uh, effectively, we have more bacterial cells than our own cells. So we're kind of a biological robot. Uh, partly being controlled by those bacteria. So 
kind of learning them and uh, getting to meet them is a very important thing. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're, we're having two tests. We sell the DNA test and the microbiome test. They're available uh, on the market, so you can just go to the website and just you know order them. They get delivered to your door. You can test yourself, send out the samples. Yes, we're collecting pool samples. Um, we sometimes <laughs> sell. Uh, we, we sometimes um, position ourselves. Ones. Yeah, I've, I've yeah. taken the test. Oh, cool. Yeah, we position ourselves as a poop tech um, <laughs> company sometimes. <laughs> Probably have the largest collection in Europe. So I have, I have a quick question about yeah, that. Yeah, go ahead. Um, you obviously have to design the offline user experience. Right. Yeah. Um, did how did you come up with that? Oh my god, that I won't a, go into it too much. But yeah, I mean it's it's, it's as as efficient and clean as it can be given. Tell us about you doing a poo. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it'd been really well thought out, but there's a few things that you can't get past if you're measuring. Yes. Um, And and is the test done differently for clinical, um, you know, as you said, with doctors, they'll they'll do it differently to presumably the home test. The collection to the, the, the collection kit is the same. Okay. So, and yes, it was a, it was a bit of a process to design that and to assemble the kit to make sure it's as kind of, okay, comfortable as it can be potentially. Yeah. Well, it's actually, it's not that gross as it sounds. Uh, so you, I mean, did you do other tests? Yeah. Okay, cool. So you know the process. And um, to be very honest, like within the team back then, when we were deciding, when we were just desi- designing this thing, it was like early 2015, I think. I mean, even our, so, some of our investors, they were like, Oh my God, I mean, this is impossible. People will never do their, you know, will never collect poo mm. themselves and put it in a box. I mean, what is this? How, <laughs> how, how do you think that will work? And I, I was like, kind of really pushing that. Uh, I mean, there's nothing wrong about it. I mean, it, it's just another source of data about yourself, which mm. is like extremely, it's not just interesting, but it's very useful and actionable in terms of how you can improve yourself. So we moved on, we tested uh, like hundreds of different kits and solutions and ways of collecting. The because presumably samples. also it has to be affordable as well. You, you can't give people sure. everybody like a Tupperware box. To yeah, exactly. Yeah, so the entrance, I mean, any kind of, because we're building, we're trying to say that this is an ecosystem of different tests that we're, that we're designing. The, uh, the access to that ecosystem should be as affordable as possible. So people should get easy access to that, uh, get the value really fast, understand that, okay, so this is the valuable thing, and just then just move on and test another product and then I mean, kind of complete their profile and get action, more actionable and valuable data out of this. So that's the idea. That's why it should be kind of affordable, yes. Yeah, and, and it was it was, it was was clean and, and hygienic yeah. and actually pretty simple. I think you just have to see the, the, the long-term benefit with... So what is the long-term benefit? What, why would people choose to to gather this data about themselves? Well, it gives you a lot of insights about, like speaking, let's, speaking of microbiome, um, the bacteria that live inside us, they give uh, hundreds of insights on the way how our body works, how we function as a kind of overall complex organism, because this is a sim- symbiosis that we exist in. And um, the bacteria that we have, it's not, I mean, there, the, a lot of people think of bacteria, that bacteria is wrong, I mean, that it's bad. Like mm. the bacteria are harmful, they get you sick, you get ill if you have the bacteria, but it's not. I mean, all right, we, the, the bacteria we have in our guts are mostly our friends. So they help us metabolize lots of things that we do not metabolize ourselves, such as fibers, for example. And they produce a lot of really useful compounds that we use as a host, as a human body. So a good example is uh, vitamins. Uh, for example, so a lot of B vitamins are being produced by the bacteria and we just consume that vitamins. So we're not metabolizing that ourselves. Um, another important, th- important thing is uh, called uh, butyrate. Mm-hmm. So yeah, going in, in um, slightly in, into science a little bit. Uh, so butyrate is the compound that builds up a special protective layer uh, all along the colon which actually protects us against the bacteria. So funny thing, bacteria is producing something that is protecting our body from the bacteria itself, Hmm. right? So this layer is called mucus and it's really important for us to to have it because if you just take the bacteria and put it on top of your hand, um, just on on top of your skin, you'll get a chemical burn. Really? Yeah, because the enzymatic activity uh, the bacteria has is so high that it will almost certainly get you a, a chemical burn. 
So that's why, but the, but we have, on the other hand, we have trillions and trillions of those bacteria inside. And the reason why we're, we don't get a chronic inflammation all the time, just like constantly, is because of this protective layer. So, so quickly, sorry, would, would some aspects of irritable bowel syndrome in the flare-ups be due to a, a depletion of the mucus layer or anything like that? Or yes, it's very, it's very much connected. Uh, actually, it's very much connected to the general kind of chronic inflammation. And the general chronic inflammation within the body is the source and uh, the, the very common thing for lots of different diseases. Arthritis, um, is that inflammation? For example, or even type 2 diabetes, or mm. even obesity, or Crohn's disease, or colitis. So all those diseases, even actually even Alzheimer's and Parkinson's have a chronic so inflammation um, yeah. in common. So, and uh, one of the sources for this chronic inflammation is depletion of the mucus layer, which is related to uh, bacteria being ineffective in creating this butyrate. Wow. So one of the insights we can, you can get from testing yourself is, well, understand how many bacteria you have that, that are building up these useful, really useful compounds that help us kind of um, metabolizing different things. Um, you can also see uh, if your microbiome pattern itself is, um, if it looks like um, um, a person who has certain issues like Crohn's, mm. like what we discussed, like Crohn's colitis or diabetes or obesity, and you can act upon this, which is the best thing. So unlike DNA testing, which is doing like which is just you know one-off test, and you just get the results. Many many people are asking. So I've done my DNA test. Now what? I mean, what's what's next? CRISPR. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just start editing your own genome. But yeah, you're, it's you're, like an X-Men. Uh, I looked at it, and uh, thankfully I did have something that made me resistant to butyrate. But you also there was someone that said it made you resistant to cancer types. There was a is you bacterium or something like that. There was one. That said, it gave you more of a, a resistance to cancer um, or something like that. I can't remember, but it was it was pretty. It was interesting to look at the sort of aspect that bacteria could have this sort of guardian-like property. Yeah, there's lots of like uh, there are certain patterns for many diseases, as I said, which are uh, which you can see in bacteria. Like the bacteria can be actually a, a marker for uh, certain conditions, so, such as colon cancer, for example. There's lots of publications on that and um, on showing you the, the very kind of special and very specific patterns of bacteria composition that is associated so uh, with, with the colon cancer. Um, it's not all the time uh, the causality that we understand. It's more of a kind of the correlation that we see. Um, again, we should all remember that kind of microbiome, it's a, it's, it's, it's a brand new technology that is driving kind of a brand new approach and like an, a special area in medicine. And there's, it's like probably like a human genetics back in 2008, 2009. We got hundreds and hundreds and even thousands of publications, uh, you know, getting out, um, explaining different correlations between things, like different bacteria and different health issues. So the same thing is happening with microbiome right now. The same thing we saw with the DNA. So there's lots of data coming in. We understand more every day about the, connect, the connectivity between bacteria and ourselves. Um, so the more um, uh, kind of the more publications is out there, the more we learn about microbiome. So um, speaking of cancer, an interesting thing is um, um, right now there's a lot of research in the connectivity between microbiome and uh, immunotherapy for cancer. And um, this is another kind of whole other area of potential applications of the microbiome tests being uh, what's called a companion diagnostic device for uh, picking up the right immunotherapy basically understanding will it work or will it not will it not work for a certain individual so a lot of things lots of things happening in the area lots of new research coming and more and more knowledge about that and the most interesting f uh, fact is the reason why it's happening is uh, because of the technological shift like the first microbiome ever sequ sequenced was in 2007 so before that we just didn't have technical tools to kind of quantify the bacteria we had in our in our guts. Mm -hmm. I mean, we could analyze it. I mean, you could put it on Petri dish and see wh who's growing. But again, I mean, that's a very limited uh, kind of approach because it's not, it's not quantified. It's a qualify, kind of uh, qualified, not quantified. Um, and you don't see a lot of bacteria that just, because it just doesn't grow on the Petri dish. So is, is the sample that's sent off, sent to um, a lab that's similar to the ones that are doing the, the 23andMe DNA sequencing or is it a specific lab? Um, that has a library of, of microbiome DNA sequences? 
So with, with uh, for the DNA testing, uh, you're using saliva sample. Yeah. It's not it's not the it's not the stool sample. So for the if you want to learn about gut bacteria, you have to collect the stool sample, right? So it's a, it's kind of a different kit. Uh, it does have a specific uh, kind of buffer liquid that is kind of freezing the bacterial DNA. So yeah, we should probably start with uh, bacteria also have the DNA, right? So mm-hmm. it's a they, they do have their own genomes, and by uh, kind of applying the same sequencing technologies we use for human genomes to the bacterial genomes allows us to kind of quantify and see who's living who's living there. Um, so this this is how it's done. I mean we are. So you're collecting the sample, you're sending it to the lab, we're extracting the bacterial genomes from the sample, and we're sequencing them, meaning like we're reading a very specific um, parts of those genomes that are um, uh, very conservative in different types of bacteria, and we are able to calculate how many types of which bacteria you have so in your you, body. So you, Atlas Biomed, have a big library available to you of, of marker DNA for um and is that continuously growing or have you mapped out a lot of it now it's more or less mapped out i mean there's a, there's actually kind of commonly available data sets for different patterns it's called what we're doing the technology we're using is called 16s uh, rrna sequencing so the 16s is like a very specific and very conservative gene that is found in just the bacteria um, and um, the, the gene being conservative means different types of bacteria have different and known variations in this gene. So by um, reading those genes in different bacteria you and, and seeing different variations of this gene, you're able to calculate how many bacteria you have of which type. A very clear question I have, I guess, that probably is going through listeners' heads is how much is defined by your genetics and your predisposition for bacteria, or is it all driven by your diet, the, the bacteria that appears in your gut? So the, well, effectively we should understand that we only have, the, I mean, we only have those bacteria that are able to survive in the environment. And well, actually, why, the reason why we have so many bacteria in their gut is because they like it there, mm-hmm. because it's dark, it's kind of... Um, nutrient-rich. Uh, yeah, it's nutrient-rich. There's always food coming from the sky. And <laughs> <laughs> but so, so th- th- that's what I mean in a way is like... Um, because some people say that the kind of bacteria you have can yeah. almost induce cravings. For certain kinds of foods so Absolutely. which one because i get fed as a baby and start eating certain foods as a, a young child not making sort of proactive choices but then i almost become a not a slave to those decisions but it probably becomes quite difficult to to break that and change tack so um with that in mind i mean how did how easy is it for us to sort of then take action on on what you suggest and change our gut makeup and, and bacterial makeup. Enough. Well, it's it's always a symbiosis, right? So it's it's both. Uh, I mean, the decision to eat certain food is made both by ourselves and the, the bacteria. That is also kind of partly in control of things we do. And actually, there's lots of publications on how our anxiety and depression and kind of um, um, our feelings can be also influenced by the bacteria we have in the gut. And that's extremely interesting area mm. of research. So, uh, but it's always a common decision, right? I mean, we are, a, let's say, a joint organism with our bacteria. So, I mean, part of this decision is, is being made by you. So uh, that means, I mean, if you really want to change something, I mean, you can, you're always able to do that because that's your own brain that's making these decisions. Of course, it gets influenced. It gets influenced and there's what's called a gut-brain axis, meaning that the, what we just discussed, like the bacteria being, you know, partly in control of what we feel um, but it's a joint decision the meaning that you can take this I mean it's not like impossible and it, it would be wrong saying that um, you know I'm, I'm, I'm not able to to change my diet because my bacteria is kind of fully controlling my decision I mean that's not that's not exactly true um, it but is partly controlled but th- there are things you can change mm-hmm. which is a good thing actually that's a very powerful uh, differentiator between DNA testing and microbiome testing is there's a potential therapeutic um, intervention uh, opportunities with the microbiome, meaning uh, by changing habits, changing your food, eating more prebiotics or specific prebiotics or changing your diet or even taking probiotics um, can help you change the the pattern of your bacteria, meaning you are in control, um, uh, unlike the DNA, which is, which well, you can probably do the XMAS scenario and try CRISPR on yourself, but it's not really safe. <laughs> so I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend doing that. Um, yeah. How specific are the insights that you get from uh, the Atlas Biomed uh, microbiome test? Like, w- would you have to know, 
because mental health is obviously a big big topic at the moment does it get to that level of insight well, we don't get into mental health yet um <clears throat> the reason why the reason for that is we have a kind of in- internal filter on what uh, what topics and what traits we show um to the consumers in their personal account and there's a, there needs to be a very clear level of evidence um of connectivity and you know correlation between mm-hmm. certain things and the bacteria so um although there's lots of as i said there's lots of kind of really interesting and um really impressive things uh that we are learning about uh, the connectivity between microbiome and and things um we're not showing everything so we have this quite um uh, quite a s- strong filter yeah. for for those traits we we have just what you can say with certainty yeah exactly but are you collecting it are you collecting the data even if you're not showing it to the the consumer are you collecting it for a future point when maybe you can yeah of course and can you even be the source of of evidence well uh potentially we could do our own research of course Um, because you take qualitative information as well i remember it's it's dna biome dna and uh self-reported survey which i filled in as well so i guess you're building up research yeah um i mean we're not uh, i mean we have a very kind of strict um confidential policy uh, and privacy policy in this regard so um if you read through the terms and conditions we have we're, we're we as a company are not allowed to run any research without an explicit consent from the from the consumer so this is this has been the policy for the company and this will remain mm-hmm. uh meaning that that effectively means that you as a user are in, in full control of the data and you're the owner of the data so whatever is being done whatever is being used is being managed by you mm-hmm. so so if we want to run a specific research on let's say i don't know the the connection between mental health and uh, bacteria composition what we will have to do is we'll have to reach out to each individual consumer explaining the kind of uh, the 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 details about the research whether it's a commercial or non-commercial whether how how will the data will be used and ask for explicit consent for that one thing i thought was um, very interesting um like to get your insight on is um there are percentage scoring um markers associated with with different you know propensities for conditions uh is that something you've built in house and or was that taken from research and then you assign maybe like a a 2% increase in um alzheimer's because of this marker and this biome or bacterial uh dna um yeah it's a, it's mostly being um i mean the interpretation is mostly built on the research that's published so there are for every kind of topic you see in your personal account for every like condition you see in the personal account there's a link to a very specific uh, publication where the data has been um, you know uh, used from uh, although so this being said uh, we also we had our own research on on certain topics um, on certain traits that we have all, have also done ourselves mm-hmm. and that kind of is added to the publicly available research for a greater accuracy of the results because it's really good i thought it was um excellent that the academic articles were linked to yeah, the yeah. um the findings because i think it's starting to give people um, more power to sort of accrue knowledge and therefore sort of not make generalizations it's actually taking people directly to the academic research as opposed to the sort of layer of googling or or media that yeah, people Yeah it's it's digest. an abs- it, and on the other hand it's an kind of an absolute transparency on uh, the way the interpretation works so if you are really interested to to read more about uh, like certain topic you can just go i mean down to the very kind of source um uh, article uh, published on let's i don't know pubmed somewhere and and just read through that and understand where the results uh, the results are coming from so one of the biggest things i would like to discuss because i think you're probably the right person to speak to is um are you unearthing anything about the findings of sugar heavy diets and the effects of those because obviously they've garnering a lot of attention in the news for their sort of negative impacts um and do you have any feeling on on what that might be doing uh, or how bad it might be well um um yeah i mean there's a, there's a lot of talks on uh, the, the the kind of the benefits of limiting the the sugars so what is sugar sugar is a kind of short um 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 uh, carbs so while the fibers for example that we've been talking about before is the long carbs so it's it's both carbs right but the difference between them is that uh, specifically for the bacteria that um kind of all the sugars are being metabolized by ourselves so they don't get down to the bacteria and uh bacteria basically consumes uh, the fibers so if you really want to have kind of reached uh, rich and diverse microbiome 
you should be focused on fibers, not sugars. Um, in this regard, eating kind of fiber-rich products like vegetables, fruits mostly, um, is a very is a very kind of good and beneficial thing because you're feeding up your bacteria, and which is extremely important as we discussed for all these kind of diseases and conditions, and even your kind of your mood. So um, more fibers in the diet uh, helps you increase and, and 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 maintain the diverse microbiome, while having more sugars is actually feeding up your own kind of cells and uh, sometimes you don't need that much energy. There's also um, there's a, a lot in terms of connectivity between diet and microbiome actually right now happening right now. So just recently a Mayo Clinic published an interesting um, report on uh, how microbiome can be related with the weight with the effectiveness of the weight loss diet uh, for example and um, they found a very clear patterns that, dist dist that distinguish people from uh, kind of losing weight effectively um, against those people who don't do that mm. effectively. <clears throat> and uh, surprisingly enough, uh, people that aren't losing like weight um, uh, are those people who have the bacteria that are extremely efficient in breaking down fibers. So the funny thing is you're, you being unable to lose weight is related to you having a very effective bacteria because the, the way they break fibers, by breaking those fibers, they release, and they, they release a lot of metabolites that you are consuming as a, as a human host because they're very effective at this. Mm. So, yeah, that, that's another surprising fact. And finding. do you give people that insight from, from your test? Um, no, this is uh, because the study was done on just, I think that was like just few dozens of right. people so the cohort size wasn't really that big um, as I said I mean this is early days for a lot of research so many of those studies need a replication studies mm -hmm. to, to kind of show the effect does exist and the patterns are clear and there's enough scientific kind of and, and, um, and um, medical evidence in those findings so we don't show that yet but there's uh, but there's absolutely I mean fundamentally we see that um, there is a biological link between mm -hmm. them so the, the, this is something that should exist. So as the research develops, you can show absolutely. more and more about. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. There are many things we can show already, and this is what we all, I mean, that, that are already included in the test. But there's going to be more and more coming in the next years. It seems like such a, a good antidote um, to this post-truth theory of misinformation and fad diets that people can actually get yeah. personalized insight into exactly how they should be treating their body and adapting their body um, to achieve the, the utmost well-being, I guess. And that's that's it, right? Is I think there's so much um, emphasis being put on what you eat. And if that's an uphill battle against what's kind of in your, your gut anyway, and you could just sort of address that first, and then actually the dietary side of things will sort of sort itself out. Um, because like you said there probably is a, a flip side where there's a bacterial colony that you could have that make you lean and in good shape and feel energetic and um the, the best version of yourself uh, and i sometimes think like when i eat healthy food i'm unclear as to how much i'm even digesting of it and and what my nutrient uptake's like because it might be quite poor as you said if the dietary fiber um or the bacteria breaking down the dietary fiber is, is not doing a particularly good job you could eat fiber all day long it's going to pass through you whereas for other people it's going to be soaked up like a sponge um do you have sort of an interest in the connectivity between um let's say the endocrine system and hormone profiles and gut bacteria is that something you'll look into doing um not specifically this topic uh but there's there's lots of things uh we are interested in and and i mean we're, we're looking uh we're looking at in terms of bacteria um probably just one thing i wanted to to add um to the discussion is the, the way kind of longer term the way that i see nutrition going and you know the dietary recommendations um and the reason why there's you know so many different views on let's say let's take like probiotics for example some people mm -hmm. say they work some people say they don't so the reason for that uh, the way we see it is um the i mean there's truth in both sides because for some people it works for some people it doesn't i mean the same is with the diet the same with the with the, with the specific products with the specific fibers um, it's all going uh, the way that we see it. It's all going towards personalization of the recommended kind of diets and, and products. So the same thing that's happening in medicine right now with targeted therapies, you know, being applied to people having specific kind of genetic variations. 
same thing happening with the nutrition. I mean, eventually, nutrition is not too far from the medicine. Mm. I mean, you're taking um, you're taking drugs and you're eating products are in in somewhat similar things. So, kind of personalizing uh, the nutrition experience and nutrition kind of approach is the next step that I think the industry will go to. So we'll see, we'll have different cohorts, like by testing DNA and by testing microbiome, we'll, we'll separate people into different cohorts, showing different effectiveness of weight loss, of um, you know vitamin uptake, of different supplements, of different probiotics. So there will be cohorts of people that are showing the beneficial kind of effect on the microbiome. There will be people, cohorts of people that don't show any effect, there will, be people, there will be people that will show transient effect, meaning as long as you're taking some products or nutrients or uh, supplements or probiotics, you will see the effect, but as soon as you stop, stop doing that, it, the effect will fade away. So understanding where which cohort you belong to will give you the insights on how you should treat yourself mm. and what type of diet, what type of products, what type of supplements you should be taking. So that's how we see things kind of uh, I mean, I, in the longer term. I guess nutrition could be viewed as preventative medicine. 100%. And then everything else is, is curative medicine. Yeah. And obviously in terms of public financial savings, if everyone is sufficiently educated and incentivized to ensure that, that they're prevented as far as possible from any sort of chronic illness, obesity, etc. Yeah, that's going to save the government, NHS or individuals in other countries a lot of money. It's a whole new paradigm shift in, in medicine that's happening, right? And we, we hear a lot of terms that is kind of describing the same thing, the same kind of idea, you know, precision health, personalized medicine, P4 medicine, preventative medicine. It's all, I mean, it's all generally kind of the same thing, which is uh, let's, let's try to, you know, learn as much as we can about a single individual and his kind of um, his different sides uh, on the molecular level mm -hmm. and then try to pick up the right... Uh, strategy for him in terms of prevention and if required treatment and if required rehabilitation but it's all kind of let's try to personalize the experience and the kind of the interventions we're planning to have and empower the individual exactly and yeah. then give him the insights give him the insights so that he can make his own informed decision so it's it's also kind of the participation that is uh, like an important part of this kind of you know, future concept of medicine. Yeah. It should be done with the participation of the patient. It's probably quite hard to map, but I also imagine it would have effect on labor productivity um, and the economy. Oh yeah, absolutely sure. I'm so, I'm so sure. And then we, my prognosis is we will see a lot of kind of um, uh, um, um, employee health management programs also being done around kind of uh, this new technology. So we'll, it will eventually get into all the different sides of, you know, healthcare. Do you think you could then, Atlas Bioma could then become a B2B product as well as B2C? <laughs> then you could sell straight into- Office cubicles. Yeah, you could sell straight into to companies. Well, we could, yes. Uh, I don't see why not. Um, actually, we do work uh, with uh, some clinics already, so which which is already like a B2B, let's say a B2B2C yeah. approach. So um, I don't see why we couldn't work with um, with companies and uh, like funny th funny story is uh, some of our kind of competitors have been doing this uh, fun things that they call the speed parties which is it's it's all around dna testing but mm -hmm. it's uh, effectively so i mean th i've done this thing like this when i was in sing singularity university and it's quite fun actually it's like the company building uh, 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 purchasing a number of you know dna kits for their employees um not having access to those data which is really important so it's just a kind of you as an individual being tested not gi not giving any access to the company, and uh, like the all employees have this kind of a lecture, and when after which they kind of, um, I mean, the one who's willing to do that is kind of spitting into this uh, collection device, and then getting the kind of the results almost on the same day, and there's lots of discussion going on, like oh I have found this, oh I found out this, and I mean it's it's a fun thing. I think that the thing that is what well, apparent is that a lot of people are learning off the adventurous spirits of the first people willing to trade mm. their genetic information across. Um, but I think the way I look at it is I've been lucky in every test that I've done, thankfully it's come up reasonably positive. I don't think I've found anything bad. Um, is there a course- That of, he's willing to share. That I'm willing to <laughs> share publicly. Um, is there a course of action that, that you have in mind for people to deal with negative 
associations or traits because it could be quite disturbing if it says you have a high chance of obesity cancer any other things that that come out um do you know between you and the other companies doing dna testing and explorations of these topics how you might help people sort of in a genetic counseling type fashion yeah sure well uh number one that we should all understand is those tests that we're talking about are non-diagnostic, right? So mm. there's no information that you find uh, from the test that you have a certain kind of disease or you are like, uh, you will get a type two diabetes 100% in the next two years. I mean, it's not like that. So the, the information you get is, uh, it means you are predisposed to some certain conditions, which actually means um, uh, these things could it. be could be managed yeah. exactly. So by by doing the life like by changing your lifestyle by by you know doing the right kind of lifestyle decisions, you can actually lower the risk of those, of those conditions. So it's not we should understand the reason why all those diseases like type two diabetes are called multifactorial, is because they are there are lots of factors that are determining your risk and your predisposition to having this disease. Well, people so, could live longer. I mean, it, it's like they say with the people with AIDS is because you're getting so regularly checked up by your doctor that they find a whole host of other things way before they would otherwise be problematic, which in some ways extends your life. So if you did have a vulnerability to something, maybe getting checked up every six months. Same story, same story with the predispositions. I mean, if you're at high risk, uh, based on your genetic information, if you're at high risk of type 2 diabetes, well, you, you could get checked, uh, checked up regularly. You could, you know, um, just monitor your diet uh, better. You could maybe do a little bit more exercise these things alone will help you live longer already because this is a i mean this is a positive side of things it's not mm -hmm. like it's not like you know you being sad that you'll get disease 100% it's not like that but of course uh, so the the speaking of genetic counseling i think this is a this is a very interesting thing so i um, i do not think companies that are kind of consumer oriented in the medtech should be just um, you know all about disruption and you know selling uh, more and more millions of kits i think there should be part of the larger ecosystem so uh, companies should not think that we're getting rid of uh, you know doctors mm. i mean it should be everything you do should be part of the kind of entire ecosystem because i was saying to ollie beforehand um is there a vision of the future whereby let's say um you could encrypt my my information and i go on and to Google, Google some symptoms, and then I could volunteer that it can interact with the information by, I get from Atlas Biomed to sort of suggest a most likely potential cause. Because at the moment, you, you can Google symptoms and get the worst case scenario. Yeah, yeah, you could get any number of, of issues it might be, but it'd be nice if that Google can start to sort of trade uh, relevant search results based on what it, I'm willing to share with it. And obviously go to your doctor at the end of it. I mean, there's no doubt we're not going to be sort of um, our own health practitioners, but um, I just wonder if we'll get to that level of personalization where anonymously I can start trading that information in to sort of get better search results. Well, I think the algorithms of kind of, I mean, the, the symptom checkers that are, that are out there, well, on one hand, they're getting better in terms of, you know, kind of predictions and, you know, l using the neural networks and machine learning algorithms, they're getting better, all right? Uh, but um, again, there's no decision that should be made um, in terms of you know specific symptoms because symptoms mean um, uh, there's something wrong. So uh, there's no decision that should be made without the doctors. So what I think that my my kind of view on that is those kind of systems should be uh, rather decision support systems for the doctors for the clinicians rather than kind of a tool for the consumers to kind of diagnose themselves and then you know get extremely worried and then not knowing what to do. Uh, so my point of view is that these systems should be installed in hospitals, in mm -hmm. clinics, and the doctors should have access to this, because I mean, with the with the amount of information available right now on the PubMed or you know just the Google, with kind of symptoms and treatment options and disease risks, and I mean, there's just literally hundreds of thousands of publications which is just impossible to mm -hmm. read for the doctor. So any systems and or you know software that will help doctors on this way to kind of uh, target uh, the findings or um, you know just give him hints on where to look for what to look for i think that's uh, that's the way it should be done eventually and are you naturally fascinated um as an individual to go into some markets because i was thinking about this while we we're talking and um you know the, the the japanese market would be amazing because they have a diet rich in fish and very different to kind of a typical western diet um 
yeah are you are you sort of itching to sort of be able to get insights into different you know let's say india don't eat, eat beef so um d- does that interest you sort of academically that's extremely interesting of course yeah extremely interesting and actually it it, it is a big challenge uh, both kind of uh, from from the business perspective and from the scientific perspective because um of course like collecting data and interpreting this for different populations um is one thing which is extremely interesting but on the other hand um, let's say launching business in Japan is a very different thing mm-hmm. from launching business in Europe and from all the perspectives you know it's not just about language translations it's all about it's also about design and the way you put information and the way you deliver that to the consumer or to the doctor so so very different things it's all very challenging I mean I I personally find that extremely I'm fascinated by the opportunities we have uh, you know being able to work with consumers and clinicians um, what's fascinating as well is so I think Brazil has the second largest Japanese population outside of Japan mm. is whether you could take Japanese populations in, in Brazil and Japan who obviously let's say they have a similar genome right. um, but the expressions of the bacterial DNA might be very uh, gut bacterial DNA yeah. might be very different and then that would be sort of almost like a, a really interesting that's s- an interesting study study that, yeah that's a that's a great idea for the mm. study absolutely um, and on the business side where where are you like are you just in the UK are you looking at other markets? We launched uh, in uh, we launched sales in five other countries across EU, which are mostly English speaking, um, including uh, the Netherlands, mm-hmm. uh, Belgium, Sweden, Finland, and Ireland. We are looking to expand, of course, um, across other countries in Europe. It it is it does require a lot of kind of localization mm-hmm. and a ro- kind of a separate and new approach for each um, and every country. So we're kind of going step by step here. But of course, I mean, our kind of short and midterm strategy is to set up uh, here and kind of develop the business uh, across Europe. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the biggest challenge for now. But, uh, you know, speaking of Japan or Brazil, all very extremely interesting markets, of course. And and, and that's an extremely fascinating challenge. And what about um, for uh, diff- different products down the line? Because you've got the DNA and the microbiome at the moment. Are you looking at other ones? Well, let me put it this way: we, we have a lot of kind of internal R and D within the within the group, um, and we're testing uh, different technologies and uh, kind of different samplings, um, different tests, um, and trying to um, understand whether we could improve the interpretation of um, uh, uh, the information we give to the consumers and to the doctors by adding more uh, more data or more kind of tests. Um, uh, it's it's really hard to, for me to say right now about the product pipeline. So we're not planning to release any any new tests um, in the next year. That's 100%. But we do a lot of research in terms of using, for example, a whole genome sequencing rather than just doing microarrays. The difference is we're um, with the whole genome. You know, while the whole genome being extremely expensive right now in terms of kind of consumer pricing, mm-hmm. which because the cost for the whole genome is well probably the best you can get is, is around 800 euros, I think, right now. But but the, the prices are dropping. And um, in the perspective of three, four, five years, we'll see the, the new kind of level of decrease in the pricing. So you should be prepared for that. And uh, yeah, that's that's a whole other challenge. It's like three gigs of data per, per consumer if you have 100,000 people. It's mm-hmm. a lot of data. Yeah. Uh, one thing I do want to do um, is debunk a myth. So the most effective way to change your uh, microbiome um, what is your thoughts on people talking about stool transplants? Because surely you can just change your diet. And I know they talk about, and I'm, it, it seems like a very um, rudimentary way to try and do that. So could we debunk uh, stool transplants? Well, right now, the I mean, the technology called FMT, fecal mass transplantation, is being used for extremely acute infection right now, mostly. Mm-hmm in the United States as a medical technology, right? So, which proved to be very, very efficient and extremely successful for many people uh, for this one very specific lethal infection. So there's a lot of potential uh, for that. Um, although I think that for each uh, and separate condition, there should be uh, done a proper clinical trials before this technology should go into masses. So. Um, there's a lot of kind of really interesting research that's being done on animals with, for example, mice showing that obese mice can lose weight if, uh, you know, if they have the, the gut bacteria transplanted from lean mice. 
So you can take the bacteria and put the bacteria in. You don't need um, the, the stool to be put in. Because I don't actually understand mechanically how they... <laughs> I think it's pretty medieval. Yeah, you, really? Yeah, yeah, it is, it is, it is. No, I mean, people... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you don't need the whole stool kind of. You don't. You don't need the, the whole stool mass. I mean, all you need to do is extract the bacteria from that and and transplant transplant the bacteria. I mean, it could be almost as you know having the the peel with the bacteria that is separated from the stool. I mean, you don't need to. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I think there's a there's a, a lot of potential in that. Um, so you don't like imagine in future you could actually transplant your own stool to yourself in different times like you know imagine you've been on holiday and you've had a, like a great time and you're in good health a very diverse diet you you could be freezing your own bacteria oh, and then i mean <laughs> in the harsh times you could you could just transplant that by eating eating the peel with your own bacteria uh, that were collected from you before or you could yeah because if you could take it at a period of time where you were your most healthy yeah that's why freeze I'm it about. and then yeah, you've, uh, yeah in yeah. the future you can rejuvenate yourself um because there's quite a lot of talk about that in silicon valley of, of i won't get into the blood boys topic but i'll get into the yeah. sort of the nutrient um infusions i know ray kurzweil says some ridiculous amount of injections per day of, of vitamins straight into his bloodstream is that a more efficient way to get them into your, your system than even to eat or digest you mean transplanting the bacteria? No, no, you know, you know when um, they talk about nutrient um, IV drips and stuff like that, and people just go straight onto like a saline solution with... Oh, the thing, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert in this. Yeah, right, really, fine, really so just leave, really it, leave them to it, I guess. Yeah. So uh, I do know that the, the experiments of, you know, transplanting blood from younger people to the older ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would be awful. What happens, if they, what happens yeah. if they find out that does work? It does work, doesn't it? The um, well, I mean, umbilical cord in, in Panama... Yeah, I've, the, I've, uh, I can't remember what they're called, but they take the gold cells, um, and they give they give it to uh, what's his name? Mel Gibson's Mel Gibson's dad. Mel Gibson's dad. He oh. was like about to die, and now twelve years later, he's one hundred and two, and he's walking when he hadn't been walking. Um, well, uh, my position is that it should be an evidence-based medicine. So, I mean, there should be uh, clinical trials made, um, like for every condition mm. that that i mean that for which one you're you're looking into this kind of an interven in intervention because this is a serious thing even transplanting the bacteria <laughs> taking blood from from <laughs> young blood. children yeah drinking blood from blood children. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's a very serious intervention the same as transplanting bacteria that is also a big intervention which should be only done in the medical environment after the specific clinical trials that will show the effectiveness of this for, for each specific case, yeah. whether it's an obesity or a chronic infection or anything else. No DIY stool transplant. Oh, God. Yeah, um, yeah. I've got one, one quick question, the last one about Atlas Biomed, which is um, just, I guess, more for people listening, is that you end up being able to put people in sort of three approximate categories, of which I believe I was the village peasant. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> surprise you. Um, what are the three classifications and, and what's the rough makeup of each? Because it was good that you'd broken it down to sort of uh, a Venn diagram of, I guess, three different... Yeah, so um, the funny thing is we can almost certainly predict uh, by just looking at the microbiome on what kind of generally people eat and yeah, like what, what is their type. Um, there are three very kind of clear patterns um, that we see with people from which one being a kind of a Western diet person, you know, drinking Coke, uh, having burgers. Um, that, and that was the urban... urban that's called, was, was that, was that called? I don't really remember the name, but it's like a, generally this, this means the Western diet. People who are kind of, you know, generally eating a lot of kind of fast food. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's a very clear pattern in terms of microbiome because this is a... This is very different from people who are, let's say, eating a lot of fibers, which is your type, mm. effectively. So good, God, good nice. job I here. I don't know what fiber I've been eating, but yeah, so Dominoes. anyway, yeah, lucky you. <laughs> What's the most desirable one? Village, village, peasant. village peasant. That's the best one. Really, the best one. is the best one. Yes. Yeah, because it says that I'm I sort of like Scandinavian, a place of origin, or I've got something. I've it's got a breakdown of like Western Europe's my highest sort of uh, bacterial DNA mm. in my gut. Mm. It's really cool. I really, really like it. I, I need to do it. I need to do it. Um, I'm going slightly mindful of your time. Sure. Um, so do you want to, Ed, do you want to run through the, the, the quick fire? Yeah, I think this is quite quite prevalent for this one. So um, what we, we want to do is, I guess, work out any material that you've read that is important to you as a, an entrepreneur or anything that you particularly connect with. I guess Singularity University is probably quite important to your, your journey. Uh, any books 
on anybody listening who wants to get up to speed with the microbiome and, and do some research or with us as academic papers. So um, any, any entrepreneurial books first? So um, the entrepreneurial books, um, I personally like, it, it is a classic one, right? It's called Good to Great. I yeah, probably heard about this. Uh, so it's a good one. I mean, but although my kind of general advice would be just don't read books, do things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and because, I mean, it's much, uh, from my perspective, uh, it is much better to first start something and then read books. Mm-hmm. Because then you will get kind of more insights and, you know, you know, having the experience, the, re- the kind of the relevant experience will help you along the way much more than, you know, just reading books. Mm-hmm. Um, so reading books as you do something is more effective than reading books first and then kind of, kind of thinking of starting your own startup. So um, don't be afraid, do things, then read books. Um, don't look Silicon Valley uh, serial series. Uh, <laughs> I, I personally cannot do that. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, you're you know living in this kind of um, environment, and and then watching it in the evenings is just probably too much. Yeah, actually, uh, about that, um, do you do you do anything that's sort of part of your routine? Maybe to sort of just get a bit of a break from uh, the intensity. Like you know, is it a sport? Is it sports? Yeah, I run. I run. I'm I'm not, I'm not a big I'm not a kind of a marathon runner, but I I do love like uh, running in the streets. Um, yeah, sports great way of doing things networking you know talking to people just kind of you know friends stuff like that yeah i mean nothing special um and i another question i'd be is um not specifically focused on this topic but obviously having been at singularity of the university and and chewed over what ideas are important to you are there any other uh, sort of areas of entrepreneurship you would willingly participate in if you weren't doing this that you think are real problems that need solving whether it be food sustainability or self-driving cars or you know, are there any other areas that excite you? Yeah, flying cars. Flying cars, flying yeah. Cars. Like an Uber taxi type yeah, cool thing in the quads. Yeah, Got very this. interesting thing. Cool things. Yeah, uh, like jetpack. <laughs> Jetpacks. <laughs> a DeLorean with a flux capacity. No, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I mean, uh, medicine is really fascinating. I mean, everything we do, I mean, what we're doing is just kind of scratching the surface of things that could be done to help people rejuvenate and live longer. Uh, fighting aging mm. that's really ex- extremely interesting topic for me I mean um, making people live longer I think that's the best kind of goal that humanity as, as a whole can have because it will give us more time for new scientific ba- breakthroughs but also for you know just living our lives enjoying the life we have so the longer you you're able to do that the better uh, of course being healthy in parallel well, be, really it, it, even the three categories you have, if one is the Western diet, let's say it's uh, fast food, sugar, uh, it'd be interesting to see if that is resulting in people aging faster, just due to sort of metabolic waste and stuff like that, because um, that probably puts quite a lot of strain on your DNA, as does stress as well. So um, anything that people on earth in that fashion that allow people to be healthier for longer, so in 60, 70, you can still be um, a productive member of society, it'd be quite interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a, in general, um, like if I was to give an advice, like a, like a general advice for people in terms of you know maintaining their microbiome, what I would suggest is eat eat more and uh, vegetables and fruits, and try to eat diverse vegetables and fruits. Because another kind of myth that people have is now uh, you know when you eat the salad every day and thinking that that's kind of okay, I'm having I've, I've had my fibers. Um, um, the problem is having the same salad every day. Don't, don't give you enough diversity in terms of fibers to to maintain the diverse and rich environment of the bacteria. Well, and, and so you need to change you need to change products that you that you eat. It should be as diverse as as the microbiome, effectively. So it's like like microbiome is like gardening. Mm. You can think of this this way. I mean, you should you should be kind of thinking about it. You should be caring about it. Uh, you should trying to bring diverse kind of foods and diverse to maintain the diverse population presumably the more diverse it is um like a garden the more sort of uh defensive it is against getting ill because you've got a more diversity of, of yeah exactly bacteria. it's actually it's a, it's about the abundance of function of fun- functions uh for your microbes i mean because um when the harsh times uh, begin like when you get sick or i mean there's not enough food for the bacteria for example or you change your diet by because you're traveling somewhere i mean some bacteria will die off but the other ones should pick up the functions those bacteria had. So that means you're staying healthy. So that's why diversity is important. It's the abundance of functions 
um, for the bacteria. It's quite interesting. You could have prebiotic treatments for going to different countries. So you could take a couple of like a week of prebiotic pills to sort of prepare yourself for, I don't know, a week. Depends what you're going to eat. Yeah, a week in Morocco you or something. might just go and eat Coke and burgers in India. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess one of the last bits to wrap, wrap this bit up was, um, yeah, for somebody to, to study more about this, um, just just go to academic research. And there's any there's a great book uh, written by Eric Topol, um, which is called The Future of Medicine. Okay. Fantastic book. So if you want to dive into kind of where those technologies are taking the medicine, where's microbiome, DNA, personalization, you know, analyzing lots and lots of different biomarkers, um, predicting the disease, where it will take us, it's a great book to read. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Cool. And, and to wrap up, is there anything we can ask our listeners to help you with? Yeah, because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of new to the community. So um, uh, anyone who's interested in the topic, just add me on LinkedIn, Sergey Musienko. Mm-hmm. It's easy to find. <laughs> There's not <laughs> too many Musienko people <laughs> around. So just uh, add me on LinkedIn. I promise I'll reply to every message I get. Uh, I'll be happy to kind of expand the network, talk to other people, see what they think uh yeah that'd be fantastic and you're going through a fundraising round at the moment aren't you so will the team be expanding in the next 12 to 18 yeah we're, we're actively growing actually we are hiring people uh we're looking for new candidates so yeah drop me a line if you're interested at, um, all, at all levels or specific levels mostly around business development business development perfect well thank you so much for coming on it's been absolutely fascinating and education awesome thank you guys thank you very much Since the recording, Ollie and I have both got our test results back, which held some interesting and surprising discoveries, including a gluten intolerance. If you're intrigued by what you might discover, use code MICRODOSE, all in capitals, for a discount at checkout. If you enjoyed this or any of our other conversations, we'd love to get your feedback. Our Twitter handle is at the Startup Mike, M-I-C, or get us an email, ollieored, at startupmicrodose.com. If you're feeling particularly generous of spirit, A review on iTunes would go a long way to ensuring that we can continue to bring you these conversations. Finally, this recording could not have happened without the support of Founders Factory backed Entail. Their podcasting software and studio in the Daily Mail building, London, are as ever the unassuming stars of our show. Check out entail.co. And thank you for listening. Goodbye.